In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. So, first of all, this is not part of the homily, but I thought I got to tell the story because it's way too cute not to tell. So, we had our welcome meeting last Sunday after the 10 o'clock mass in my backyard, and I thank everybody who helps out with that. It's just so important to welcome people to the parish community. And then after that meeting, we, you know, I just remember where the rest of my homily is, so I'll find it. I was out with Ryan and Josh, they're second graders in our church and in our school, and we're playing Frisbee. So we're playing Frisbee, and right in the middle of playing Frisbee, Ryan pipes up and he goes, I want to be a priest. Oh, that's awesome, you know, dear, obviously to all our hearts and my heart. And then I turn to Josh and I go, Josh, would you like to be a priest? He goes, yeah, maybe. Okay, and I, Josh, why would you like to be a priest? He said, well, you get a place to stay. And you get free donuts. I go, that's great. Then Ryan splices in, he says, yeah, but you can't get married. And Josh goes, and that's the best thing of all. And then Josh is kind of, he's just beautiful, I don't know if he's here, but he's just kind of dancing and flittering about like a butterfly, and he's like, yeah, and then all you have to do is celebrate Mass, and then you have free time. <laughs> Perfect. I think that's what maybe a lot of people think about what a priest does. It's hilarious. But that's just, just so much joy to me, and, and so much love, and my heart is full of that, and God has blessed us, Amen. He's given us this great community where we can share that. And that's just that story. That's a gift from God on high. Everything's a gift that God, there's no way that I could experience that. Well, I, I wouldn't experience life if God hadn't made me. But there's no way I could experience that or come up with that or concoct that for all of eternity. But God says, here you go. Keep going, my son. Here you go. Keep going, my daughter. Live in the joy and love of this community. So, talking about the Eucharist for the last six weeks and why it's so amazing and that we can come into the reality of the Eucharist, that we could receive the very life of Jesus into our lives this day and every day of the week if we want to. Always invited into that life. And if there's anything I want you to take from this homily is there's no communion without sacrifice. There's no communion without sacrifice. So if you didn't sacrifice the little bit that you sacrificed, or maybe more so, to be here today, there's no communion. It's just a biblical principle. And a beautiful way it's framed is in the story in the movie Babette's Feast. Has anybody seen Babette's Feast? I recommend it to you. It's Eucharistic. It's about the best story, one of the best stories out there in the world, secularly, about the Eucharist. It was written in 1956 by a Danish writer, and it was a story that became a film. And what he wrote about was like in the late 1800s in a remote village in Norway, a fishing village by the mountains. And there were t two daughters of the dean. The dean was the retired Lutheran pastor there, and the two daughters, Martine and Flippa, and they presided kind of over the small community at the base of this mountain. And how they described the community at this point, it was an ardent sect of followers. So it was very uh, stringent. And the numbers were diminishing and getting wider, balder, and harder of hearing. So they're, and they're very puritanical. No earthly joys, 
just the simplest meals, frugal surroundings, and dedicated to the prayer and to the poor. Uh, Martine and Philippa were beautiful, and they attracted suitors. And the dean said, nope, you cannot have my daughters. They are my right hand and my left hand. They are off limits. And so they accepted this heavenly ideal of love and would refuse to be touched by the flames of the world. And then in uh, 1854, Martine, when she was 18, a suitor came, Lawrence Laham. And he was a dashing military officer. He was smitten with her. But he was kind of tongue-tied and self-conscious, and he never told her of his love for her. So leaving, he, he, he thought, well, this isn't going to work, and the, the dean's not allowing, so I'm going to go off and have my military career. Okay, fast forward 15 years later. So a couple suitors had uh, suited the, the two daughters. 15 years later, the bell rope pulled, and the, the daughters answered the door, and there was this pale, frightened woman there. Her name was Babette and she was half dead. She had lost her husband and son in the uh, revolution, the French Revolution, and in Paris, and they, Martine and Philippe took her in. And there was a note from Philippe's first suitor that said she can cook. So here she was worn, but just had this note she could cook, so the, the two daughters took her in. But they told Babette, no luxury food, just plain food. No luxury at the table, and that would be considered an immoral extravagance. So, after some time, the dean was getting older, and it was his 100th birthday was coming up. But there was a lot of discord and dissension in the community. And you know what the problem was? Unforgiveness. People's inability to forgive one another. So, Martine and Philippa, how to bring back together this spiritual family, they were wondering. And about this time, a letter arrived from France, and it was to Babette. She won 10,000 francs. She won a lot of money. And what she wanted to do was just put on a festive dinner for the dean on his 100th birthday. Sumptuous, and she would pay for it for herself. And the, the daughters were like, no, 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 you know, they were poo-pooing it, any luxury or pleasure in this world. And she goes, I haven't asked you one favor in 12 years. Just let me do this, and we will have this great dinner. So a month before this festive meal, all these fine wines and choice foods, including turtles, were arriving from Paris to their house to prepare for this festivity. And the, the girls, Martine and Philippa, said, this is preposterous for a meal. So the meal, though, proceeds to happen. Babette prepares, and the guests say, we will eat this meal out of courtesy, but take no delight in what's happening. At this point, when the, the, the meal's uh, happening, General Lohenhelm brings his mom. So he's the one that went off to the military. He is listless, has achieved all of his career and worldly go goals, but is depressed. And the only one who did not vow to take delight in the meal. So he was going to be open to what he presented. It's important for us to, to vow to take delight. And so the turtle soup was there, the best wines, the best foods, and they were in the drawing room before the dining room, and they started to sing some songs, blessing the happy city of Jerusalem. They held hands, and they sang that song, sang another song, and then they came into the dining room. And they moved from the drawing room to the dining room, and there was this elegant table set there. There were candles on the table. Hint. 
candles on the table, and the silverware and the glasses were shining from the gleam of the candlelight, these flickering candles. Then stories of Dean were exchanged about how he had blessed the people as the leader, as the pastor of the people, and the fine wine and food took effect. Have you ever had that? It can take effect and calm us down and bring us to what is most important. Old animosities were being melted away, old resentments were being healed, broken friendships restored. Forgiveness and good cheer took a hold of all around the table. And then General Lohenheim gave these words of grace. These are beautiful, listen to them. This so rings true in Eucharist. In our human foolishness and short-sightedness, we imagine that grace is finite. But the moment comes when our eyes are opened and we realize that grace is infinite. Grace, my friends, demands nothing of us but that we shall await it with confidence and acknowledge it with gratitude. Grace gives us, grace takes us all to its bosom and declares general amnesty. As these words are being spoken, his heart is filled because he's open to what's coming. This grace pours out on the others and the heavenly light fills the room. Ears that were for years almost deaf are opened. Time merges into eternity. At this point, the story shifts back to Babette. This is the part that really gets me. This is really speaks to my soul about Jesus, who he is for us. So we shift to Babette alone in the kitchen to see the price that was paid to make this mystical grace-filled gathering possible. She had no sharing in the bliss of the evening. Like a sacrificial victim, Babette sat on the chopping block. Greasy pots and pans and exhausted and as deadly white as when she came 15 years ago when Martine and Flippa took her in. And she says to these two daughters, I have no husband. I have no life. He used to be in the aristocratic life, one of the best chefs in the finest restaurants in Paris. I have no money. I spent it all on the meal, on this great dinner. Babette's sacrifice, that pattern, that motive for us, the gracefulness of the meal is interwoven with and made possible by a whole series of sacrifices most notably Babette's. Babette comes weak, lonely, haggard, from another world with the finest and highest things. Just like Jesus. Though he was in the form of God, Jesus did not deem equality with God something to be grasped at, but he emptied himself and took the form of a slave. He leaves 
that finest, highest life for you, for me, for we. Do you know? Do you know? Do we know this? By his poverty, we become rich. Babette appeared a beggar and she turned out to be a conqueror. We're transfigured by her presence. How? Not immediate. You can't just come to one mass and understand the Eucharist. We must adore, must be present and heart to come in. How did she do that? Long periods of human humble identification from the finest chefs in Europe to the puritanical meals in this little town, from Paris to a fishing village in Norway. Her humble self-emptying was the remaking of a disordered world from within because of her sacrifice. Friends, what is your sacrifice like for the Lord? My little sacrifice compared to Calvary? Nothing. What will you do? What will we do for that communion? There is no communion without sacrifice. How often do we see that word in the media? We don't. We see taking and gaining, but we don't say sacrifice or self-forgetful love, donation for the other. Forgetting about the self and living for the other. What does Jesus say? Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. This summary of Babette's feast, this hosted meal where we gather, we sing, we enter the great dining table with candles, the altar. We have a sumptuous, expensive meal. Forgiveness happens, spirits are lifted. There's a speech on the infinity of grace in our prayers, uniting us to him and each other, offering forgiveness of sins, and displaying a new vision for the world. Communion. We are a people of communion with the living God. He who was and is and is to come. The Lord, the King, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus. Communion's only made possible by a terrible sacrifice. How could it be more terrible than Calvary, Jesus on the cross? Babette paid a price, emptying herself utterly, money, talent, energy, everything, in order for the grace to flow. The biblical truth of world gone wrong can only be corrected through sacrifice, through an act of love which takes on the evil and reworks it from within. The power of Christ. An act of self-negating love made possible the communion they enjoyed that night at the Dean's hundredth. Like Babette, Jesus chose the chopping block while the festivity was going on, while our lives were going on. Sacrifice makes the meal of grace possible. Offering himself with all that he is.
dying. Dying that we might live. Take this, all of you, and eat of it. Take this cup of my blood and drink from it. 